Jordan, I, have to, I really appreciate you meeting with me today because we met the other day and when I first met you, I was with Kevin and that was at the Sama Hotel. And we met them. I have to tell I want to tell you a little something before we go any further. When I first met you, because you didn't give me a lot of eye contact at the beginning, and I said, okay, this guy's not too comfortable with me. And then we met, you called me up. Yeah. And said, Lance, well, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, cool. What's Jordan going to meet with me for? And we had breakfast, and that was one of the most exhilarating, exciting talks I've had in such a long time. It made me feel so good. And I said, I have to have you on this podcast. So let's start off first with telling us, like, where you come from. I know you come from. A little bit about your family. Yeah. Go ahead. Sounds good. Um, it's an honor to be here. It was a great time um, getting to know you the other day, and I'm glad we get to jump in. Um, I grew up mostly in California. Uh, I was all over the place. My family moved a few times growing up. We lived in uh, first Sierra Leone uh, in West Africa, and then Oregon, Washington, and Central Valley, California. Oh, how old were you when you went to Sierra Leone? Uh, I was a uh, I was a uh, baby. I was like three months old, something like that. Um, <laughs> three months yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. How long did you stay there? Only about a year or so. So it's like it's where I took my first steps. It's where I said my first words. But you, you don't know? remember anything. I don't remember anything. Okay. I grew up with. The memories of it through photographs and stories and my mom's journals and stuff like that. Well, both your parents are what? What are your parents? They're doing? both. Uh, so my mom at the time was a high school teacher. Okay. My dad was getting a PhD in medical anthropology. So we, he went out there to do research into why so many babies were dying, and he went out there with his three-month-old son and wife to do <laughs> yeah, to find out. So um, fortunately. Uh, we didn't find out the hard way, and I made sure. it through and, we, and, and stuff. But he discovered some really cool, uh, useful information for people that were living there about why there were so many deaths um, happening in infants. And the mortality rates were high, apparently, because people were washing some um, laundry with river water and then not um, steam ironing it. So there were parasites in the river water, and they would hang it to dry, and the parasites live. could live in there, and they would get inside the baby's bodies and stuff. So there were little things like that that he that he found out and actually you know helped helped out uh, to change things in that community. Okay. But uh, yeah, and then he worked at, at hospitals uh, researching like community health in in uh, Washington and then in California. But I, I identify with California, and of course now like you, Tokyo is my new home, my That's second true. home, That's third, true. fourth home, whatever. It's my home now, right? You see, you you have one other sibling. I have two younger siblings who are both back in California. Two girls. Yeah, that's right. Two little sisters who are not little anymore. Uh, they are standing on their own two feet. They both have kids, uh, husbands, jobs, lives, all kinds of fun things going on. How close in age are you? Three and a half years and three and a half years apart. So, so you're six years away from the Yeah, yeah, youngest. exactly. So she's... Almost seven years. Yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, depending on the, the time of the year. Yeah. Six and a half, seven. And um, yeah, I go back and visit them as much as I can. And uh, one of them has been over to Japan. The other one hasn't. It's hard to do international travel with little kids in tow. But I get back there usually once a year. Corona obviously does not always allow for a lot of international travel. But yeah, I get back and see them regularly. My parents live in Central California. Uh, and then I'm out here. Uh, I live um, most, I, I live half and half. My wife and kids actually live in LA. 
my daughter is going to, they, they were in Japan until about a year and a half ago. Then my daughter got into the Los Angeles County High School of the Arts. Wait, how, wait, how long have you been married? Almost 20 years. <laughs> You've only been married once? Yeah, yeah. Okay, 20 years, and your daughter's 20? Uh, so I have a, no, so She's I have a son younger. who's 18, okay. daughter's 16, and my, uh, they were going to school here in Japan for five years. They were at a really wonderful school called Shibuya Makuhari, kind of out in, out in Chiba. Um, with a, it's all taught in Japanese, but really good English program too. So they went to school there, and then my daughter really wants to be an artist. And uh, she got into this school in Los Angeles. It's like one of the best schools in America. And she really wanted to focus on art. So I said, if you want to move there, you know, well, let's talk about it as a family. What can we do? Right now, my job is here in Tokyo. But they decided to pursue that adventure. And I said, look, I'll, I'll transition to a career where I can get back to LA more or move to LA or we can kind of come and go. And so far, that's kind of what we do. Like we spend a, a few months in LA, a few months in Tokyo. Sometimes we're together in the same city. Sometimes, you know, we're apart for a few months. Okay, what about your son? What's he doing? He just graduated South Pasadena High. Okay. And uh, he got into a few universities, but he decided that he wants to take a year off and do something else. So he, last summer he was in Tokyo uh, doing internships with uh, an architect. Mm -hmm. um, Architect. It was in Tokyo? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I know some architects, that's why I'm Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a really amazing guy, um, Rafael, uh, who studied with, um, he's from Mexico City. Um, he studied with um, uh, Kuma Kengo and uh, teaches at Keio University and was converting a little space that um, uh, it was like a they call it a nagaya, those old workers style housing, like shared housing from, you know, 100 whatever years ago. It was an older uh, building that they were renovating to turn into an art gallery and artist workspaces. Right. And so my son got to help out on that project and, and, uh, and, and convert the building and uh, had a great time. He learned a lot and he got so into architecture um, through that that now he wants to pursue it. But he figured he'd take a year and study, uh, you know, on his on his own, like maybe through some internships in Tokyo, study some landscape architecture and some coding, like creative coding for right. software yeah. uh, engineering. Yes. And he's thinking that uh, by doing that, by learning um, software and whatnot, he'll be able to contribute to the world of architecture in a more like creative way. Instead mm -hmm. of just going with what's there, he'll be able to say, oh, this world benefit from these digital tools. Maybe right. I can help develop them. Yeah. Where is he now? Los Angeles? And this very moment he is here, somewhere running around Tokyo with his friends. Um, oh, and wait, wait, wait. Is he living with you or is he living in his own place? Oh, so he just graduated like three weeks ago and he was in LA. Okay. Okay. And so he came back for the summer for a month or so. Right. And then uh, we're going to go, all go back to California in August and mm -hmm. we're going to take a family trip and you know just connect and relax a bit. And then after that, he's going to decide. And I told him, you but know. Is he, is he staying with you or is he staying with his brothers? Oh, he's staying with me here oh, in Tokyo right now. Yeah, for this month. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but, but, you know, as a lot of 18 year olds do, it's questionable. He stays with you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he has a place right. to stay <laughs> if he wants it. And he doesn't, he doesn't have an official home of his own other than our, our place in, in South Pasadena. But yeah, he. Um, He's a really good kid. He's got his head on his shoulders a lot more than I did at 18, and he knows what he wants, and uh, he works with me on a lot of projects. He helps me out on 
I have all kinds of weird stuff going on from poetry and coding, you know, art experience projects uh, to research projects, to all kinds of stuff. And he always like jumps in and lends a hand. So. Could you, when we talked the other day in the morning, and you told me about all the things you've been through, I thought it was really, really interesting. And I think it's unfortunate that life usually starts to happen after you've gone through a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it true. isn't necessarily pleasant. That is true. And when you've gone through that, then if you come out, if yeah. you get out of it, because everyone doesn't get out of it, yeah. you tend to start to see what's really possible. You get to find out what your potential is, yeah. what, your, what, your, what your purpose is, too. Yep. That's so so where are you at right now? And what, In all what that helped journey? get you there? What helped you get there? Yeah. I mean, adventures, for sure. And adventures that included a lot of bumps and difficult times, too. I mean, I... Um, I think, um, you know, growing up and living in a lot of different places, I somehow convinced myself that I was different. And, you know, even though I had plenty of friends and was doing fine in school and playing sports and doing everything that you're supposed to do, I also had this other side where I wanted to be the best at being bad. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to find a way to be really good at being bad while I was still keeping, a, keeping you know, the grades good, 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 Yeah, keeping the grades up and stuff. So, yeah, I did, for me... Be, being bad was just another skill set and another world to, to, to have some adventures in. So I did, you know, in, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie American Graffiti. It was uh, George Lucas's first big film. And he grew up in this town called Modesto, which is where I, yeah, I also grew up there. So it was a little bit like that, like, you know, kind of going out in cars and partying and being wild and, and doing that kind of thing. And um, finding creative ways to finance the party life and stuff while also you know, doing okay in school and getting into college and doing the what things that... What helped you get outside of that? I mean, what do you think were some of your aha moments, as Oprah would say? Yeah, yeah. What helped you say, this isn't, it's not working? There is, uh, there, there are several. And they were always, they always came to these moments where I had to face the fact that my life was going to go one way or the other. You know, those crossroads sometimes become really apparent. So there was one, for example, where... I had a moment in my life where I was going to go into a, a, a kind of illicit moment. Um, and, uh, and someone offered me the use of weapons. They, they offered me guns. And it was like, you're probably going to need these, you know? And I was just like, that's interesting. So this is a moment where I clearly am going to choose. Am I the kind of person that is going to put my goals, my ambitions, my whatever I want to get done, whatever I want to get in, put into my hand, am I going to use a weapon to make sure that that happens and potentially hurt someone else in a way that would be completely illegal? And I was just like, no, I'm not. And I said... It wasn't a thing where you had to or not. It's just... It was like you probably... You, you this might this. go... This might, might go, go south. south. So, so, you so why don't you take this and this and this? And I was just kind of like, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk in like this, and things are gonna go the way they're gonna go, and that's that. I'm not I, that is not me. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm going to become. And it was it's a little bit like the Breaking Bad thing, you know, like Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad. He breaks bad. He does. And he I was kind of like I saw this moment way before Breaking Bad, this is, you know, 25 <laughs> whatever years ago. I think a lot of people go through this. Yeah, you know, and it's like you you see that, and sometimes you're just like, no, nope, I got I got plenty of stuff going on the good side. I'm gonna try to. Try to do that, but but I still like to I still like to party. I still like to have fun. I mean, California is a great place to live it up, right? 
and um, and after after college at UC Santa Cruz, I went out and I moved to Seoul. And in Seoul, you know, I mean, you know, there's a Korean culture is deep. But well, I was saying you weren't married at this time. No, no, I was just like a sort of single guy. I met a girlfriend in California, but you know, I mean, I was. Had you become a professor already at that time? Um, I, I had become a high school teacher okay. for one year in Modesto. I went back for a year and taught high school at Modesto High. It was a really interesting experience too. But then I, uh, after that, I was offered a, a, a summer teaching gig out in Korea. And I was kind of like, whoa. I mean, I've never even really thought about you know, living in South Korea. Yeah, it just wasn't on my, I grew up speaking Spanish, so I always thought I would like, you know, go South America or mm -hmm. something like that. But then it was like, oh, okay, that's unexpected. Why not, right? So I went for the summer and I had such a good time and found out that Korean people, most of them anyway, really love to drink and they really tolerate people getting completely housed. Really yeah. So I had a really fun time and I ended up, it, it, it was a coincidence, but the people who were running that summer school did the hiring for Korea University in Seoul for this, like, for this program uh, that teaches extra classes to the college students there. So they offered me a job, and I was like, I'm in. I, I, guess, I guess that's it. I'm moving to Korea. And How long so, have you been there? I'd only been there six weeks. So, wait, wait, six weeks after you came there? Yeah. I was just like, I'm moving here. That's it. And so I like, <laughs> you know, I went back home. I packed my stuff. I, I uh, you know, said some goodbyes, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, ate some pizza. Ate some, you know, got my, got my American food on, and then, and then moved to Seoul. And Korea University, you know, they had an apartment uh, where I could live just off campus. It was amazing. It was totally living the dream. I was 23 when I started that job. And it was like, I couldn't, I just could not believe my luck. I completely lucked my way into it. You know, it was like one of those things where just you happen to meet someone and you get along and they're like, well, let's hang out a little more. And that hanging out happens to include a job. So how long did you stay with Korea was a total of about a year and two months, something like that. Were you able to pick up I picked up, uh, I went as far as third semester Korean in the university program, but because I was teaching at the same time, I could only do, there's the conversation class and there's like the grammar and writing class. Mm -hmm. I couldn't attend the grammar and writing classes, but I attended the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I learned to read and write. Korean's a pretty quick language to pick up. You know, you. It's not like Japanese. You can pick up Korean writing in a couple of days, okay. and then you then you can kind of start working through reading it. You don't know what you're reading, but are you still you doing it? Still practice? No, I can still read it, and I still remember the words. So, like when I listen to K-pop lyrics or when I watch a Korean it. film, I'm like, oh yeah, and it yeah. kind of comes back. But it, you know, and I can order food and okay. tell a taxi driver where I'm going and stuff. But I I couldn't have a good substantial conversation right. anymore. Wait, so how many languages do you have? Somewhat of grasp though, because I know you're Spanish, in. Japanese, and English are really the only ones that I feel comfortable in. Okay. And then I've, you know, Korea a, a bit because I live there. And then uh, along the way, like when I travel somewhere, uh, you know, I'll study with like an app for a year mm -hmm. or something and just pick up, you know, basic phrases. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, for like a little bit of French, uh, studied for like a, you know, a couple of a couple of months in a class, and then Chinese the same. You know, I, for a while I was going to China couple times a year, three, four times a year for poetry festivals. Um, a poet that I translate uh, was the chancellor of a university here in Japan. And I ended up a professor at her university. And we would mob over to China and have some fun and read some poetry. And those connections got deep quick. And I thought, I really need to learn this language. So I studied a tiny bit of Chinese. But 
Yeah, but won't, but but Spanish, uh, English, and and Japanese are the ones English, I yeah. yeah. Can you rewrite both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All three of them. Yeah, so so um, I mean Japanese like uh, you, you know when I was I was in Korea for that year and then at the end of that year, um, I was at a nightclub. <laughs> In a blackout, <laughs> and and uh, and uh, my vague memory tells me that this beautiful woman appeared out of the fog, and uh, there was no fog; it was in my brain. <laughs> but it seemed like she appeared out of the fog, so it felt very romantic. And uh, but but she appeared, and I said, um, I said, "You're beautiful. I love you." I didn't say my name. I didn't say how you doing. I just was like, Poof, "You are beautiful. I love you." And she was just like, "Get away from me," because <laughs> who does that, right? So, uh, but you know, we we had mutual friends. Fortunately, she wasn't a, like a complete stranger. It turned out, and we ended up um, connecting and dating. And then uh, two months later, I left Seoul, and uh, she was a Japanese girl, still is a Japanese girl, now a Japanese woman, um, and uh, she was living in Seoul also, but she was about to. Uh, move back to Japan and get a job in the fashion industry. And so I thought, you know what? I'd love to try living in Tokyo. Why don't we, you know, move to Tokyo together and see what happens? And so uh, the interesting thing about her, though, is it wasn't just like a, a romantic, I mean, it, you know, it was love, right? It was love at first sight kind of thing. But here's the cool thing that was built into it. At that time, I was really into partying. You know, I was into working and partying. And a, and a little bit of fun, soccer, mountain climbing, whatever. But, you know, those are my two main things. So I had developed a group of friends who love to go out drinking, right? And when you go out drinking, you know, you, you get drinking stories. Okay. And, you, and you have, right. and you, so you have, you, you cultivate a group of friends who enjoy the drinking stories. They enjoy making the adventures that become drinking stories and they enjoy talking about it. So when you tell the drinking stories, it's like the wild, crazy stuff and you meet up the next night and, oh, what, did, what happened last night? I don't even remember. And it's a little bit like that movie, The Hangover or something. So I had a bunch of friends like that who are great people. I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Uh, but drinking was a, was a hobby for us. I, was, I ran sometimes with a group called the Hash House Harriers, a military-based they, they say it's a drinking group with a running problem. Okay. And so we go running and drinking, basically. And we ran the Seoul Marathon with, like, cakes of beer every mile. They're really fun. But, yeah, so, so you know, that was, like, part of, my, part of my life. And I remember when I met this woman uh, who I'm now married to, uh, 20, you know, 20 years later. That ended up being your wife. Ended up being my wife. When you first saw her, you told her. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I love you. I love you. And we ended up getting married a year later and got pregnant on our honeymoon. And now we have two kids, and here we are. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And she was in Korea for what? Was she in there because of she fashion? was a college student? But she was uh, 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 she's she studied actually English literature, but she was just into like fashion, and she appeared on like TV and did a little bit of modeling and stuff. So she was kind of involved in the in the entertainment world a bit. And then she just randomly got a job as an editor at a fashion magazine in Tokyo. And uh, it was a super glamorous job. She got to go to Milan and London and go all these places and go to the fashion shows and be one of those journalists right at the front next to the catwalk. And she was living the dream too. And uh, and so I, I didn't want to, you know, have her give that up to stay with me in Seoul. So I was like, look, I'll give up the professor thing in Korea. I'll move to Tokyo. I don't know what kind of job I can get, but I'll just I'll just see what happens. So you're there just for a year. 
Yeah, so Korea was about a year, and then we moved to Tokyo, and we lived in Tokyo for about a, a year and a, a year and a bit, and then moved to LA. But the thing that, like, one of one of the reasons that I I see her as and that relationship as like a turning point. Obviously, marriage is always it's the turning point of everybody's life who gets married, right? It's everything changes, right? But before that, I remember having these conversations with her where you know I would tell her my drinking stories. The ones that my friends seem to enjoy so much, the, the wild, crazy stories. Yeah. And and I remember telling these stories, and, and she just looked at me and she was like, I'm confused because you're telling me these stories as though they're funny and charming, but they're actually shameful and disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you never saw oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. a very different perspective. Right. Usually, if someone had talked to me like that, I would be like, "Goodbye. You yeah. don't get me. You're yeah. square. You're you're right. you're not yeah, hard you're to hold. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're a wet blanket." But I was like, "She's right. I'm not actually enjoying this. I'm just doing this because I'm on autopilot, and I it's the only way I know to have fun right now." Which you guys hadn't been married by that time. No, we were just barely dating at the time. Yeah, and Which I was just like, pretty quick. Didn't yeah, she really did. So, so because of her, I cut out almost all the drinking, and I was just like, okay, I'm gonna try to like, you know, shape it up, and I'm gonna try to remember who it is that I was raised to be—a person who who loves people, a person who loves art and music and literature and museums and hiking and you know, and camping. Like, I wanted to be that person again, and I could almost do it. Like, I quit almost all the way, but then. It, you know, and every once in a while, I'd like have a have a drink at home with her. You know what I mean? Like, like okay, I'm I'm safe. Like, I'm not gonna go out and cause any wild. But then I found that like when she would go out of town for a business trip, she'd be in Milan at the shows or something like that. And all of a sudden, I'd be like, hey, 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 to the boys, you know, like. So you had those friends. And yeah, yeah. But you're in Japan now. Yeah. So yeah. what do you mean with friends? You had you you built up a group of friends. During the time you were here with her, they were so they were old. Actually, this is kind of funny. One of my friends from California, one of my old, old, old like uh, drinking and you know wild and out friends okay. that I knew from high school. Uh, he actually ended up moving to Tokyo a couple months before I did, just coincidentally. So I had a built-in structure. Structure already. Yeah, and he was already like he knew. He already built up. He built up a lot of people. Yeah, so he would just be the person that I call when she left. I'd be like, "Hey, Matt, you know, like what what's going on? You know, you know, Kazuko's heading out next weekend. Let's you know, let's go out and have some fun." And and I would drink automatically like the old days, but I had no more tolerance left because I would like not drink for a month. So it wouldn't take you very long to get to where you. Exactly. So I so quickly it was just like, oh, this is not working because my mind just wanted to. Party the way I used to, but my body was not there. My body was like, you, you're, you are not tolerant to alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. So it kind of developed almost like an allergy, and uh, and and when I was in college, you know, I got wild enough to the point where I got a couple of DUIs, like drunk driving arrests, mm -hmm. just d dumb things. Like there was no, fortunately, no accidents or anything mm -hmm. like that. But you know, just like made it illegal U-turn when I'd had drinks and mm -hmm. just dumb stuff, you know. But I had to face it. You know, I used to think that like, oh, the police are the but like you know but after a while you have to admit like I, the, the common denominator and the problems in my life was always me right and uh, and so then uh, when I went to uh, so we lived for a year in Tokyo and during that time I 
applied to graduate schools back in California. I wanted to get a PhD. I wanted to become a professor. And one of the things that I think living in, in Asia also showed me is like that cautionary tale. You know what I mean? Like I was talking about those moments where it's like, you're going to use the gun or you're going to not use the gun. Right. And there, was, there, was, there were a lot of people that I met in Asia who were always saying they wanted to do something more, like you know, foreigners who had moved here. They wanted to do grad school, but it's just, it's so hard, it's so much work, and maybe I'll do it some other time, or maybe I'll, you know. And then 10 years go by, 15 years go by, you know, and they're still saying the same things on the bar stool. Like, you know, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try this, maybe I'm gonna do that. Don't tell me, now you say because they told you, you how do you know? They, so they just showed, they showed me their lives, and I knew them to be extremely smart, capable people but they, who for 15 years were they're just, just telling they the were, same story. Yeah. And you happen to be there the 15th year. Yeah, exactly. They're telling it, and you're saying, okay, they're not going to use Yeah, and I'm it was sure like, you know, sometimes yeah. you just hear yeah, that yeah. enough, and you're like, okay, I should soak you know, up this This guy is really good at telling the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. he hasn't done a thing about hasn't it. He hasn't done a thing about it. You know? It's like the guy said, I'm going to lose weight, but he's... It's the same, yeah. He's this yeah. big. He says, I'm going to go to the gym. Next week. How long have you been telling people that? Yeah, 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 exactly. There's a special at the gym membership. But these, the, all yeah. these people are academics, right? Uh, at that them? time, they were English teachers. Uh, oh, some okay. of them were, were teaching in pretty good positions. But, you know, it was like, it's like a lot of careers, you kind of get into the position, and then you just, it's Never flat. Right, right. And there's nothing that pushes you from the outside to do it. Like, and if there's nothing pushing you from the inside and nothing pushing you from the outside, then that's, there's one direction that you go. It's flat along. And so they weren't miserable. They weren't, uh, you know, in poverty. But, you know, they didn't have the life that they wanted. And they weren't doing the, the stuff that they, I think, could do. And so a lot of them went on to do that after that. They did get, get stuff going and try different things. And they ended up inspiring me and I ended up inspiring them. But I think it was one of those moments where I quickly saw... Ah, at age, you know, whatever, 23, 24, 25, you have a moment where you kind of, you got to get yourself out of that potential spin cycle mm. and, and start things in motion if you haven't already. And, and if you do, one thing usually leads to the next. And, it, you know, I, I knew that nothing would probably be a, a, a smooth road or, or an easy ride or anything like that. But I thought, you know what, why not? Like, what do I have to lose? I'll try and fail, and then I just won't tell anybody necessarily so what, about that. So what did you do to get out of it? You were in that cycle, obviously. Yeah. So what did you do to get out of it? Oof, uh, I basically just clawed my way through grad school applications. You know, So I, I knew I wanted to do something, and I thought I'd, I'd either like to be like a creative writer or a filmmaker or a professor or something like that. And I ended up uh, going for a PhD in comparative literature. And... Uh, it was a real easy decision. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was really lucky to get into UCLA. And uh, a funny thing, I got into UCLA uh, two months after I met my wife. But I, but I told them, look, uh, I'm really excited that I got in. Uh, PhD is a dream for me. But I just met this girl. And love has kind of intervened. And I'm moving to Tokyo. Is there any way that I could defer this and come a year later instead of you know this year? Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, that's an interesting story. We haven't heard that one before. They said, we don't do deferred applications, but we will remember you. And if you apply next year, 
we can give you a, a kind of per, just a personal assurance. You know, we, we'll put you at the top of the list. Don't worry. You know. So I said, okay, cool. We're going to Tokyo for a year, and then we spent that year together in Tokyo. And I and I so that whole time I was in Tokyo. Now I had this thing in front of me. It was like, oh, grad school. Okay, so I better while I'm in Japan, I better soak up some Japanese. I better go get the grammar books. I better go get the kanji books. I want to learn the hiragana in a week. I want to do, you know, I want to like, I want to keep going. So I took a, a low responsibility job where I only had to work like four to six hours a day. Didn't have a ton of money, but it was fine. I didn't need a ton of money. You know, our, our hobbies were going for walks, going to the park and playing badminton. You know, I wasn't drinking, so what was I spending money on? And we just saved up a bunch of money and had a real chill year. And I studied Japanese like six hours a day on my own. Walked around with note cards like a nerd everywhere I went, studying them. I wrote it all out by hand and just got real serious with it. And I met uh, my wife's family, uh, who are all uh, from, uh, uh, from Kobe. And uh, my wife speaks really good English, but you know, her family members, of course, Japanese, right? right. So, you know. You probably have this thing too, where like if you're gonna get along with the in-laws, you're gonna need to learn, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I learned I learned a lot that year and took the JLPT like test level three to kind of like get myself an incentive, and and I think like from there everything went pretty smoothly. When I applied to UCLA again, they were like I had now I had Japanese under my belt, you know, it was like on par with my Korean, and they were like, well, that like. This year, your application's so good, we're giving you a full ride. And so they gave me a full ride and a salary uh, that covered our apartment and stuff like that. And a little bit extra. Look, of course, it makes them look good, too. Yeah, exactly. So they, 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 yeah, they, that makes sense. It was, it's a I, business. Yeah, 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 it is. It's, it is. it's, it's about thing. replicating yeah. what they do. But, you know, and I hope I made them look good. I, I don't know. I certainly tried hard at UCLA. And so you left UCLA with the... Yeah, yeah, I got the, so it took, PhD. Uh, yep, PhD, uh, eight years, and during that time while I was in the program, um, I, so I got sober sober, uh, which is, it's a big thing in LA culture, they're like, you know, sober communities where you finally learn to like not drink at all, and then figure out what are you going to do with your life once you do that, you know. Absolutely, was, what do you mean, not drink at all, you can't have a little drink at home when you come home to drink at night or anything, you know. You know, come pie with your buddies. Yeah, I mean, I could. But you, it's not but, a. But, but they law, really want you. They like, really want you not touch alcohol. Period. Well, it's, so it is interesting. Like, like Muslims don't touch pork. It, it, so it's like that, but it's not so much that they want me to do it. It's that they are doing it, and they say, if you want to try it, this is what we do. Okay, you, you can try. It. But you know, it's like I that see. kind of thing. Okay. But but yeah, what you're saying is absolutely right. So the the idea is that I don't drink at all, and in the beginning. It made my skin crawl. In the beginning, it was like, oh, I'm sitting around a table and everybody else is drinking, and I'm sitting here with my. Because you associated so much pleasure with drinking, yeah, and so many good experiences, yeah, in your mind, even though your wife saw them as being what they really were, disgusting, yeah. But you had associated them with pleasure, yeah. And they always were in the beginning. You know, it's always fun until it's not fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, until the wheels fall off, right? But it, but it was always fun for a while. And, you know, um, the, the conversation gets flowing and stuff. But I learned a few tricks about life from that. And um, one, I learned that I was, I was drinking partly because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin and with who I am. And I had to just have a couple to just take the edge off. And a lot of people are like that. But the 
problem with me is that like after I take the edge off, I just keep wanting to take more and more edges off. And you're, you're you're it. Exactly. So so what I discovered though is if everybody else takes a drink, their edges are off. And once their edges are off, then we're all just a machine and we're all rolling together. And I don't have any more edge once everybody else is cool. I discovered my edge, you know, that, that feeling of like anxiety comes from me wanting everyone to feel at ease and having fun. And so I almost felt like I needed to take my edge off to help everyone loosen up. And then I realized I, I, I don't have to do that. I'm not responsible for everybody. Everybody else is fine. And if I just chill for a second, everyone has a drink, then we're all having a good time. And no one notices I have a Coke, or no one notices I have a, you know, whatever I have. you still flow the conversation, you're still on the same page, yep. and everyone else is, isn't that interesting? It's really fun. So now, like, the crazy thing is, you know, it's like, so I got the PhD and had a bunch of adventures and this and that, but, you know, it's like in, in my life, I will end up at bars or clubs or, like, you know, cafes or art galleries where people are passing wine around and talking and... Sometimes I'll do performances, poetry, or, you know, work with different musicians to do stuff. And, you know, and we get wild. We get wilder than I ever got when I was drinking. Because when I'm drinking, I just drink. But now that, like, I'm sober and I found, like, a new like a new kind of energy. This is, like, this is now 18 and a half years without a sip of alcohol. And I feel so free and so light when I go into these situations. But you're also focused now. That's exactly. Which before you went off into different tangents because that's when alcohol, any drug basically, puts you in, in such a place that you end up going different tangents. And that's why people get the same way, follow you, or yeah. at least appear to be following you, but you're yeah. going all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you get high on life, yes. man, the it's focus is an laser, amazing drug. laser light. I totally, totally. It's really yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like that high on life thing. I remember in California, um, they used to have a, a program, a bunch of anti-drug and anti-alcohol programs that they would run you through in like junior high and high school. And uh, I think for a, you know, for a lot of the kids at that age, it just teaches you the names of drugs so that you so know what to ask so people for. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's... <laughs> So that's the difference between death and crack. A little bit of this, and then I want to get back up from there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And if it gets dangerous, yeah. So I never thought about this. So tell me, so from Korea, and then you went to this, you went to UCLA, yeah, professorship there. Yep. And where'd you go from there? Okay, so uh, I taught at uh, I actually moved to the East Coast for a year. My first tenure track position. So the the gold standard when you get the PhD is you want to get a tenure track professorship, Meaning? and there are. So a tenure track means you are uh, in line, basically. You have, a, you have basically a seven-year clock to achieve what they call tenure, which means you are like a made person. You are in. You basically cannot get fired. You, can, you have total freedom to say what you want to say, and no one can fire you for having an opinion that is contrary to, to, to anyone, to the president, to the president of the university, or whatever. You say the truth. You share your research, and you have freedom and safety. And it's the those jobs are amazing because what they do is they also give you a job where you get you teach maybe seven hours a week nine hours a week but the rest of the time you're doing research you're supporting students you are you know living the life, um, living the life you know and and hopefully staying motivated because like all those jobs right it's that whoa you're made um, and so I got a tenure track job in Rhode Island went out there for a year had a really wonderful time at Roger Williams University. 
Uh, but then, like three months after I got there, four months after I got there, uh, this position opened back up at Cal State Long Beach. And it's a place where I had taught as a lecturer for five years. I knew everybody there. You know, Long Beach was much closer to my California family. And so I ended up getting that job and taking another tenure track job at Cal State Long Beach. I taught world literature there. Amazing job. So much fun. One of my, one of my classes that I had to teach was a, a, a global comedy class. So I taught about like French comedy, Italian comedy, classical Greek comedy, Japanese comedy movies, uh, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, comedy manga. Uh, so it was super fun, and I loved Long Beach. And then, uh, I, but at the same time, uh, I studied a lot of Japanese literature. So while I was doing this, I was uh, translating Japanese poetry, uh, writing about Japanese literature, doing all that kind of literature professor stuff, right? And and then uh, one day I get this email uh, that's like, oh, hey, would you translate this one particular poet? Um, she's getting an award, and they want more of her poetry in English for this award. I'm like, oh, this, yeah, sure, great, happy to, right? Translate her poetry. And then I get this email from her, and turns out she's the chancellor of a university system in Japan, like the head of like four universities. So she's like, why don't you come out for the award ceremony? And I was like, come out just to hang out for your award ceremony? Like fly across the Pacific Ocean? <laughs> like for a poetry you know, translator, and so that doesn't happen, right? So I ended up, I was gonna be in Japan with a group of students from Cal State Long Beach on a little study abroad thing, because I'd bring students over here for like three weeks and we'd do the tours and we'd do all kinds of crazy fun stuff. And, and so I said, oh, actually, I can, I, can, I can make it, I can do that. And uh, when, I, when I first went to the university, which is just over in Kojimachi, Nagatacho area, right by the palace, right, you know, the, the political heart of Tokyo, um, uh, the, the chancellor of the university uh, named uh, Mizuta, Mizuta Noriko, uh, she invited me up to her office before the big, you know, event was going to begin, and she said, um, and, you know, as I walk in, it's just another one of those life-changing moments. It's an incredible office, like white leather sofas, beautiful like calligraphy on the on the walls. You know, just like gorgeous, like one of those quiet, special spaces. I go in, and she's like, "It's nice to meet you. Thank you for translating my poetry. It's very lovely translations. Why don't you come be a professor here?" And I was just like, "Just like that." <laughs> Oh, after all these years of like sweating and grinding and throwing out applications that are this thick to try to just beg for an interview in a position, she's like, well, yeah, why don't you come? And I was just like, well, that's, thank you so much, I'll consider it. So I did the rest of the, the tour with my students, went back to LA three weeks later. Turned out the day after that, I was flying to Europe for a month with my family. Like we, we were, it was our first big vacation. So I was like, okay, I'm finally a professor. We can finally take a vacation. We're gonna go to Europe for a month, and uh, and we flew to Europe. And I, I told the kids and told my wife, like when we were on the plane to Europe, I'm like, hey, I got this offer to move to Tokyo. What do you guys think? So the whole time we're touring through Europe, driving around France and going up to Belgium and you know England and stuff, and uh, uh, we met up with my dad and aunt in England. It's really fun. But you know, we, this whole time we're thinking like, are we going to change and go on this different, you know, course in life? Yeah, to the yeah, we were happy in uh, in uh, in in Culver City in mm -hmm. L.A. You know, it was a beautiful place. My kids went to El Marino, which is a 
It's a school that's bilingual Japanese and Spanish, two programs, so as diverse as you can hope for. All these great, you know, people speaking different languages and celebrating culture, and it was like we were in heaven. But then I had this promotion and a and a not a tenure track, but a like a tenured position. So made made in Tokyo, like you know, all set. And so uh, we talked it over with the kids who were nine and eleven at that time, and uh, we and we laid it all out. We said, look, here are the good things about LA. Here are the downside. LA is expensive, especially you know. I mean, over the years, it's gotten ridiculous to live on a professor's salary. Mm -hmm. So I was like, here are the good things and the bad things about LA. Here are the good things and bad things about Tokyo. And then there are some question marks because we can't hundred percent know how it's going to be until we get there. Given all that. Everybody gets one vote, LA or Tokyo, and it's a it's blind ballot. You know, you don't write your name on it, whatever. You just write the one, and you and you put it in the box, and then uh, you know we dump out the we dump out the votes, and it was Tokyo, 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 Tokyo. Oh, so we were like, oh man, go ahead. Okay, that's it's a family decision. So we did it, and it was funny. the The day before we did that vote, I remember I was driving. Down to my aunt's uh, with the whole family, and my wife kind of turns and she's like, "You know, we're doing a really good job of being like rational and trying to make the right decision, and and we're weighing this very carefully." And she's like, "But I feel like there's this giant tide that has already swept us over the ocean, and the decision's really kind of made." And I was like, "You know what? I do too. You know, we're doing our due diligence because we're parents, we're adults." We have responsibilities, so we're not just going to be dumb and take any offer and run off across the ocean. But I feel the same thing. And then the next day we did that vote, and it was decided. So we moved to we moved to Tokyo a month later. <laughs> it was just like pack up, get it's out, fight right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just do this. Yeah. So you stayed here for ten years. So it's been yeah, uh, this almost not seven, seven years. Seven years. Yeah, yeah it's been there. a good run. Wow, that yeah. is nice. So altogether, I've been in Japan about eight and a half years, with a twelve-year window in LA. But during that time, we were coming and going in the summers and swimming and stuff. So yeah, it's a good city. And once you get here, as you know, forty-six years deep, That's right. it's, it's very hard. hard to leave. It, for me, for me particularly, because I said my issue happens to be one coming from a country that doesn't treat me so well. Yeah, yeah. I treat people look like me so well. And the more I, the, it was like 10 years in, I was 10 years here, because I never thought I'd live here. Yeah. But I remember getting on the plane to go to the US, and I was there in LA for maybe a week, mm -hmm. and getting on the plane at LAX, and I remember sitting down in the seat, and my shoulders literally going like this. <laughs> and I went, I've been tense from the moment I got on the plane in Haneda yeah. until I got Getting back over on the plane, you know, when until I got on the plane again in LA to come yeah. back, Man, during, that's rough. During, this has been. We're going to have to do this more than one time. This is do it again because you are a very good speaker and your stories are excellent. Thank you. And you have a lot to talk about. And I know this, so we can't cover this at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing. So we're going to have to do so many of these. What would you like to end with on this podcast? Man, there is so so. You have so much, much. that you didn't test because your poetry. We have that. Yeah, and, and all these things that open up for you because I know all that too. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say thanks. I mean, you know, a few weeks ago when we met, you know, it was just you were a guy sitting in a restaurant, and Kevin and I, Kevin, like, oh, there's my buddy, let me, I know this guy, let me just say a quick hi, and we end up standing next to your table for about ten minutes and just talking your ear off and listening, and 
and I just I knew I had a lot to learn. And so, um, you know, in in when I met you in that moment, I recognized that you were a person with deep experience, and I just I feel like the the I would really like the cameras to turn in the other direction and the and for me to be doing the, the interviewing. So I hope that I can have have you sometime onto onto my shows and reverse Because really, the people at home, I, I'm am telling you, if you're if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, this would be a ten times more interesting conversation with this guy doing the talking. Um, so I want I want to do that sometime. But I mean, other than that, I just you know I don't know who exactly is gonna listen to the program. I don't know who your audience is if they're but listen are they all over the place? Jordan, if this helps you at all, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Cool, I try cool. to stay away from the analytics right now. Yeah. You're number forty nine. Wow. I get this up. You're number forty nine the podcast I've done that. I'm doing hundred of them this year. Cool. So I don't know who it is. Yeah. And this should be something that keeps on going. It should be in perpetuity. Uh-huh. As long as we're human beings. I don't know. All right. Well, then, from from the guest of the forty ninth uh, Lansley podcast here, I will say, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope you find inspiration in some of the things we talked about. And and uh, I think Lance is someone who has lived fearlessly for decades and has tried all kinds of interesting things. And I'm sure that you know I've heard, I know many that have succeeded, and I know many prestigious like positions and places and accomplishments that you have. And I'm sure there were things that also didn't work out along the way. And, you know, I'm a couple of decades behind you in, in my path, but I think it's a similar path. And, and, and I think the one thing that marks them as similar is like a sense of adventure and a sense of, you know, feeling comfortable with ourselves to the point where we can try new things and not have to worry if it doesn't go perfectly or if, it, or if we end up looking you know, a, a certain way while we attempt to, to push ourselves a little bit and just enjoy the process. And uh, other than that, I, um, I would like to thank everybody listening. And if any of my friends or family tune in too, I want to thank all of them because I couldn't have this amazing life that I have today filled with, you know, poetry and art and friends and good food and peace and beauty and great music, um, you know, without that. So. That's about it. Thanks for having me on the show, my friend. Jordan, I can't talk that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yay.